Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Recovery Talk. I am currently in Norway, which is my home country, for those of you who don't know. I'm also right now having the Bi-Ed course, which is very busy, but also very, very rewarding. Anyhow, I just took my cat to the vet and he was so mad at me. He was giving me the death stare and meowing and meowing and meowing. I felt so bad for him and it made me kind of think a bit about recovery. And I know you're going to think, oh my god, another metaphor about recovery. Like, is there anything you can't find a recovery metaphor in? And the answer is, yeah, uh, I don't think there is anything I can't find a recovery metaphor in. I'm a Pisces, okay? I live for metaphors. Because, you know, when you are in recovery, you are kind of kicking and screaming. You don't want to do it, but you still have to keep going because you know that if you don't do it, you are going to eventually suffer the consequences and you're also suffering consequences in the moment. In the same way, my cats, you know, if I listen to him kicking and screaming and took him out of the crate and didn't go to the vet with him to get his teeth out and get his teeth sorted, he would be in pain, right? He would be in pain now and it would get progressively worse. So the same applies to an eating disorder. You're doing it for your future self and don't give in to the kicking and screaming that the eating disorder will do. Think that you're doing it for your future self and the compassionate choice is to keep going. Just like the compassionate choice, even though I felt bad, was to ignore my cat meowing and wanting to get out of the crate and actually just take him to the vet. Anyways guys, let's get on with today's topic. So today I'm going to talk about bulimia and I'm also going to talk a bit about what what I think that mainstream treatment approach towards bulimia gets wrong and why this is at best it is just ineffective and at worst it can actually be harmful. And of course This is not applied to all treatment centers and all treatment professionals. There are some amazing people treating bulimia and having very good results. But I do see that the recovery rate for bulimia seems to be quite low and the relapse rate seems to be quite high. So one thing that I want to start with mentioning is that when I talk in this podcast about eating disorders, that of course includes bulimia already, right? I think there is a little bit of a thing within the recovery community where you think that everything is just about anorexia and restrictive anorexia, but that is just not the case, at least not with my podcast. Everything I talk about here also applies to bulimia. And also a bit about me personally, I was diagnosed with anorexia nervosa binge purge subtype, but I think if I had gone in treatment when my weight was a bit higher, I probably would have been diagnosed with bulimia. And when I got the diagnosis of anorexia nervosa binge purge subtype, I was a little bit like, okay, so so what is the difference between me and a bulimic? Am I just like a skinny bulimic? Like, what is this? So overall, I don't think focusing too much on diagnosis is helpful and also importantly, Most people with bulimia are not diagnosed officially either. Uh, Access to help for eating disorders, it's not easy at all and people are very often dismissed. Anorexia, binge purge subtype and bulimia has a lot of overlap and I would also even argue that in some cases it might even be the same thing, just different BMI limits, which is such bullshit. Like, I'm sorry, but 
the the focus on BMI like limits in eating disorder treatment I think is so harmful and I am very concerned about people feeling like oh my eating disorder is not valid until I reach this and that BMI and therefore becoming even sicker before they seek help not to mention that treatment certain treatment providers also reinforce this by saying oh when you reach this and that weight you are going to you know go inpatient and that's when you're going to get help basically which is so harmful I can't even begin But that is a topic for a different day. So even though I don't really separate too much between eating disorders, I did want to make an episode specifically about bulimia. And there are a few reasons for this. So one of them is that I see a lot of people with bulimia having a very specific case of the unicorn syndrome, where they think that just because they have bulimia, nothing in recovery applies to them. All of that is just for people with restrictive anorexia. This is not true, and I wanted to explain a bit about that. It seems like a lot of people with bulimia think, for instance, when I talk about extreme hunger, they're thinking, oh yeah, yeah, that's fine if you have restrictive anorexia, but if you have bulimia, that does not apply because, oh, binging is part of my problem, they can't be part of the solution. And this is often reinforced and echoed in treatment where binging is being treated as a problem that needs to get rid of rather than focusing on what is actually driving the binging and how the binging started. And chances are that is restriction. I haven't heard of a bulimic who just woke up one morning having never restricted, never overexercised or purged or whatsoever, never engaged in any form of compensatory behavior, just waking up and binging out of control for no reason. I haven't heard of it. I have not heard of it. And even if that was the case, then focusing on purging and restricting and, and, you know, that wouldn't even help it because that would just make it even worse, right? But what you see with bulimia is that people with bulimia, they tend to develop bulimia either during or after a period of restriction or diet, or it could be even after a period of anorexia that then develops into bulimia when reactive hunger hits. So if you suffer bulimia, I want you to ask yourself one crucial question. This is like the most important question you need to ask yourself if you suffer with bulimia. And that is, when did your binging start? Did it start during or after a period of some form of restriction? This could be starting a diet. It could be cutting out certain food groups. Doesn't necessarily mean cutting down on specifically calories. It could also even be going on a low-carb diet where you cut down on carbohydrates. It could be excessively exercising. You know, maybe you started a new, a very intense exercise routine. It could also be maybe you went through a period of involuntary, like that you didn't intend to uh, weight loss or restriction. Maybe you, for instance, went through a period of being sick. And then you lost some weight and you lost your appetite and then you notice it's coming back now and you feel like it's coming back in an out-of-control way. Or maybe you suffered anorexia in the past and you're now in recovery from anorexia and you're noticing that you get reactive hunger, which is a completely normal response to restriction. And then you panic by this reactive hunger instead of just letting it, you know, letting it flow and going with it, you're purging. And now you find that the binging won't stop and then you're stuck in this cycle, right? So it's absolutely crucial to ask yourself when the binging started. And even if you can't fully remember how the binging started, I want you to be aware that restriction, it reinforces binging and maintains the cycle. This is not something I'm making up. This is not some kind of conspiracy theory. This is just a plain scientific fact. 
So let's just get down to the very basic science of it. And this is quite complicated, so I'm going to try and make it as easy as possible, right? When someone is restricting their intake and slash or losing weight below their set point weight range, there are certain adaptions happening in the body. We have, for instance, the hormone leptin, which is the hormone that it controls our appetite and also weight regulation. This hormone goes out of whack. And then we also have the hormone ghrelin, which controls our hunger and fullness. This also goes out of whack. So here you are with some of the basic hunger and fullness hormones going completely out of whack. And then additionally, you have your basal metabolic rate. So the basal metabolic rate is the amount of energy you are burning from simply just laying down. Basically, if you were in coma, that's the amount of calories you would burn in 24 hours. That's your basal metabolic rate. This one goes down when you are restricting and slash or under your set point weight range. And this is something that increases in recovery, sometimes quite significantly. If you are going, you know, proper recovery and actually eating quite a sufficient intake, not if you're doing the bare minimum recovery, which is a different story. So basically here you have this combination. You have your uh, ghrelin and leptin levels out of whack. You have your basal metabolic rate, which is lower. And when your basal metabolic rate is lower, that also means that you burn less calories, right? In very plain English, your metabolism lowers. And then you have other <laughs> other lethal forces going on here. Not lethal forces, but extremely triggering things that make you feel like you need to restrict. And that is also what happens when you're restricting is that uh, your gastric emptying, basically the, the time it takes for, you know, for your stomach, you know, digestion, everything to go through and move along, that happens slower. So food lays in your stomach for longer. And this especially goes if you are in a binge purge cycle where you're getting, trying to get rid of the foods, right? It messes up the stomach, it messes up the digestion. And then you have the purging behaviors causing uh, certain disturbances in, you know, electrolytes and water balance, which can mean that this is very dangerous, by the way. This is very dangerous. I'm just saying this is not something to just brush off. This is dangerous, it can make your heart stop. This is not good. But yeah, so basically, there are disturbances in the fluid levels, which can make you retain quite a lot of water. So again, in plain, quick English, what is going on here is that your metabolism is lowered. You will tend to have food in your stomach for longer, which can make you feel quite bloated and also might show up on the scale as extra weight, but it actually is just food in your stomach system. You also have electrolyte balances, which can make you retain water, which also shows up as weight on the scale. And the thing with water retention, it, is, it tends to kind of especially like to puff up in the facial area. And that's kind of where a lot of people don't want it to be. And that can be quite triggering. And as a result, it seems like you've gained weight very fast. And some of it, yes, you might do experience that your weight gain is a little bit quicker because your basal metabolic rate is lowered. But a lot of the weight gain is actually just food and water retention. But now just back to the leptin and ghrelin part. So what these hormones do is basically makes you really goddamn hungry. It makes you really, really obsessed about food to the point where you get this ravenous hunger where you just need to eat everything in sight. Or you might be in the camp who don't really get this strong physical hunger, but you just get an obsession with food. You just need to eat, 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 like a mental hunger. This is actually your hunger hormones just being out of whack. And actually, I say out of whack, but 
the truth is, they're doing exactly what they're supposed to do, which is to try to get you to eat. You are essentially in a form of survival response where your body thinks there is a famine going on, and as a result, it sends you urges to eat as much as it can and hold on to weight. And as a result, you're freaking out and fueling your own eating disorder because you're thinking, well, my metabolism is clearly broken, so I do need to engage in these compensatory behaviors or I'll lose control and gain weight until infinity and beyond, right? And then you also think, well, I clearly cannot control myself around food, so I need to restrict, I need to purge because if I'm just, you know, letting myself eat, then I'm just going to eat, 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 lose all control. I am an emotional eater, And I spoke about this a bit uh, in a past episode, I think it was my last episode, about this fear of emotional eating, where I basically asked the question, why is eating emotionally so rewarding for some people? And who are these people who find it emotionally rewarding? What you see is that the people who emotionally eat tend to, in pretty much all cases, and absolutely most cases, have a past or current with restriction. Because emotionally stuffing your face uncontrollably doesn't really hit the same if you're someone who's fully nourished and don't have a mental obsession about food because you're restricting it. And yeah, as I talk also about in that episode is that because you are in famine mode, food and eating becomes extremely rewarding. It becomes terrifying, but also extremely rewarding, meaning that you get a boost of it, right? Because it is, you're, you're so starved and your body thinks you're, you're in famine, so it tries to do everything to get you to eat, including making it very rewarding. In the same way that if you are have been out in, in the heat all day and you're extremely dehydrated, then having that sip of water, ooh, there's like a boost of happy hormones, right? That does not mean that you are out of control around water. It just means that you're really goddamn dehydrated. So this is why a lot of people with bulimia thinks that they are eating their feelings because it feels so emotionally intense. And because they might also, if they have, you know, a bad day, they know that, okay, eating these amounts gives me, you know, happy boost, the boost of happy hormones, but they don't tend to, they don't tend to question why does it give me these happy hormones? Uh, because if it was universal, then why isn't everyone just absolutely stuffing their face when they are having a bad day? And when I'm talking about this, I'm not talking about, you know, having a pint of ice cream when you had a breakup or these type of things. That is completely normal emotional eating. I don't think that should be demonized. I'm talking about absolutely stuffing your face to the point where you feel like you're going to explode and it's physically uncomfortable. That is not something you see people just do. You don't that because <laughs> why would they do it? It's not rewarding to them. So you need to question why is it so rewarding to stuff yourself to the absolute brim to the point where you feel like you're going to burst the point where you can actually feel the stomach climbing back up in your throat because you're so full that is not something you see perfectly healthy well-nourished people do and psychology is an interesting field but i do think at times psychology it is a little bit too what can i say freudian right (laughs) like everything is being explained as suppressed childhood hurt and your relationship with your parents and you know like there's all kinds of like psychotherapeutic theories around bulimia and I'm sorry but I just don't really find them to make sense like and I think we're when you are suffering bulimia you are looking for answers right so if you go to psychotherapy and you find out oh maybe you are eating because you feel empty inside 
a lot of people feel empty inside. And if you have bulimia, that might make you feel quite depressed, right? Bulimia and depression are very connected. And then you might think, oh yeah, that makes sense. I feel empty inside. I'm depressed. Bulimia, blah, blah, blah. I'm eating my feelings. Oh my God, I need to stop, right? So it can provide answers, but you need to, uh, you need to ask yourself, are these answers actually in root with reality and logic? Do perfectly healthy, well-nourished people suddenly and on a regular basis absolutely stuff themselves to sickness because they're secretly resenting their mother no they don't no they don't but if you are someone with bulimia who is secretly resenting your mother and you're thinking about it and you're having a bad day and you know that binge purge session is something that makes you you know gives you boost of happy hormones because you are programmed to be rewarded for eating because your body thinks you're in famine then yes so psychology isn't completely wrong when they say that bulimics, you know, if they have a bad day, they might engage in behaviors. That's that's completely fine. That's true. But it is about what is the driving force and also how do you solve the problem? As an eating disorder recovery coach, the most common thing I'm told by clients, especially when I do like consultation or first appointments is... I went to psychotherapy and all the focus was on, you know, my childhood, my relationship with my parents and very little focus was on the fact that I'm just goddamn hungry and I need to eat. And then they go into coaching with me and then they, I give them, you know, permission to eat, which sounds so ridiculous, but that's very often what people in eating disorder uh, treatment, they seek that permission to eat. And then they go to therapy and they don't really get it. They don't get that permission. Instead, they get in task about solving some issues that very often is it's at best difficult and at worst impossible to solve. And then they feel like they can't recover until they have solved every single thing that they went through as a child. And that is keeping people stuck. And I mean, it's keeping psychotherapists <laughs> well paid and busy, but I just don't really think that you can treat eating disorders and ignore basic biological factors at play. Because when I talk about things like ghrelin, leptin, BMR, slow gastric emptying, water retention, all of these things, this is not just me pulling things out of thin air. This is very, very, very basic biology, like on a very basic level. And it does alarm me a little bit that people are working with eating disorders without having any kind of training in the biology behind them. Because yes, eating disorders, they're mental illnesses. They're also in many ways physical in terms of all of the effects and driving causes behind them and you can't just treat the mental you also need to treat the physical and very often by also treating the physical a lot of the mental gets treated so yeah i just explained the vicious cycle of bulimia and how what is going on also even though it is your body's attempt to keep you alive, it tends to actually end up doing the opposite in terms that it reinforces the eating disorder and make you think, oh, well, this shows that I recovery is not for me. I'm an emotional eater. My, my metabolism is permanently broken and it kind of reinforces the eating disorder. And it can be difficult when you seek out treatment and you get told almost things that confirm this. So you are essentially going to treatment and you're being told you're eating your feelings and all of these things. And that kind of makes you think, oh shit, I need to avoid food. Food is something bad. Food is something I need to control myself around, right? But the most successful bulimia recoveries I've seen have been when people are completely letting go of 
any form of mental and physical restriction. And instead of treating the binging as the problem, they start treating restriction as the problem. And I know some of you might say, oh yeah, but if I do that, I'm just going to binge, binge, binge. Yes, for some time you will. That, that's, that's how recovery is, you know? You're going to go through the reactive hunger. You're going to have times where you're going to stuff yourself and you're going to have such a strong urge to purge. But the key is don't do it. Because if you are purging or starving yourself the next day or going for a long run, then you're only reinforcing the binging because your body is getting the messages that, yeah, there is still a famine going on. I need to send out these signals. Your body's not getting the energy to restore and raise your metabolism, normalize your ghrelin and leptin levels, all of these things. It doesn't have energy to fix your digestive system and get things to go a bit quicker. It doesn't have energy to heal you mentally or physically. So very controversially, but also very effectively, when I see people with bulimia, I tell them, you need to eat more and you need to eat unrestricted. And yes, you may go through a period of binging, but that is not going to harm you because the binging is temporary. And as your body is getting enough energy to realize there is no famine going on, then it will stop sending out the binge signals. But if you're constantly compensating and denying yourself certain foods and going for massive runs or throwing up or using laxative, all of these behaviors, then your body's not going to trust you again. You need to tell and show your body that there is a sufficient and regular supply of energy so that it can heal and restore itself. No amount of mindful eating or meditation or yoga or whatsoever is going to stop your binging if your binging is driven by undernourishment. You need to eat I want to talk quickly about the Minnesota starvation study. And I know this is something that I talk about quite a lot, but I think it is so crucial. So quick summary, a group of perfectly healthy men with no past or current of eating disorders were taking part in an experiment where they were to be starved. And the reason why they did it was just to check what is the best way to refeed undernourished people. So they were fed 1,500 calories and their only form of exercise was walking on a treadmill. So that in itself is quite, when you think about it, that is that is like an, a normal amount for a dieter. Like I even hear people eating disorders who think 1,500 calories is a lot of food, right? So I just want you to put that in perspective. So when they started refeeding the men, the majority of the men experienced binging and extreme, uncontrollable hunger. They were stuffing themselves thousands and thousands and thousands of calories. But here is the thing. With full weight restoration and getting, uh, like having a high energy intake over a period of time, it slowed down and eventually stopped. They did not continue binging forever at all. It stopped. It normalized. For some, it stopped quick, whilst for others, it kept lasting for quite some time after the experiment. But the commonality here is nobody started binging extreme amounts of food for the rest of their lives. The problem now with people is that people enter a state of undernourishment, could be going on a diet, it could be having an eating disorder, disordered eating whatsoever, anything that puts them in an energy deficit. And then as a result, you know, the body vamps up on the hunger and makes eating very rewarding and emotionally heightened. But instead of just listening to what the body is actually telling them to do, which is just eat, eat, and eat, 
there have we know grown up in a diet culture that tells you that you know if you're eating a lot that's bad you know we have a very fat phobic society as well that tells you oh if you do this and that you're going to end up in a fat body and a fat body is the worst body you can be in you know this is just oh, a whole new all the thing to unpack you know the fat phobia and diet culture that's just seeping into our society and then add in the eating disorder who tells you, you know, this is proof that you can't be controlled around foods. When what it's actually proof of is that you are a human being experiment, experiencing a completely normal phenomenon in response to famine. This actually even has a scientific name. The scientific name is post-starvation hyperphagia. You know, the, again, not something I'm making up to trick you into recovery. This is just pure basic science. And so instead of doing what, you know, the men in Minnesota starvation did, which was just to, you know, just eat. Even though I do have to say that, interestingly enough, a lot of the men, they felt ashamed, guilty, and they felt uncomfortable, you know, with their bodies during recovery. They had a lot of eating disorder, similar symptoms. Uh, but yeah, the men did, you know, they eat, they ate and restored weight. So Instead of, you know, someone with bulimia, instead of just going through this process of this reactive hunger, what happens is that, you know, the eating disorder kicks in and then they freak out and, you know, start restricting, start compensating. And as a result, the binge just doesn't go away. It stays permanently because the body, body realizes, think there is like an ongoing famine and people spend their entire lives stuck like this. And it is no way to live. I don't think people realize how dangerous bulimia is, how dangerous purging is. <sighs> you can die. Like, you can die. Your heart can just boop, stop. It is not something to take lightly. And I know a lot of people with bulimia don't necessarily look sick, but that does not mean that they aren't. Because there is absolute chaos going on inside the body and brain. So if you are someone struggling with bulimia... Focus on getting rid of the restriction. Focus on eating regular meals throughout the day. Don't end up in the trap where some people are, you know, only eating at night and then they save up calories for night and then they don't eat breakfast the next day because they want to save it up for night. You know, don't end up in that trap. It's not going to do well. Eat regular meals throughout the day. And if you binge, that's fine. Just don't compensate after. Just go straight back to eating again after, you know, eating your normally planned meals or not necessarily, maybe you don't even have a meal plan, but you know, go back to, you know, the next day, eat breakfast, right? Don't compensate, don't go for a run, don't purge, don't take laxative, which also is a really ineffective way to get rid of calories, just FYI, same goes with purging. If you're engaging in compensatory behaviors, you're reinforcing and maintaining the cycle and therefore also leads to more binging. So the best way sometimes to get rid of binges is actually to binge, which sounds so counterproductive, but it is true. No, you are not losing control. No, you're not making yourself used to eating 10, 15,000 calories a day and will continue doing that forever. No, no, no. And it is a shame, you know, if you have a therapist who's kind of echoing these things, I want you to kind of just give them a basic biology science. You can maybe show them some articles I've written or just show them some scientific papers. And you can say, hey, I've, I've discovered that there's actually a bit of a thing that when you're going, when you're going through a period of starvation, undernourishment, there is a sense of reactive hunger coming. And this is temporary and it's restored. And no, it's... it's um, it disappears with weight restoration to your healthy set point weights and also with full refeeding um, 
can show them that because I don't think they're saying these things about, oh, you're eating your feelings, you're empty and dead inside. I don't think they're saying it because they're bad people. I think that is a very common thing to believe, you know, because of the way psychology sees eating disorder in the very Freudian psychotherapy-like lens where everything is explained by past traumas and there's very little focus on biology. But the truth is psychology and biology, they can't really be separated. They go hand in hand. There is so much more I could have said about this topic, but, and I probably will because, you know, I do quite enjoy talking about the binge restrict, binge purge, binge overexercise cycle. It's a topic of special interest for me, but, you know, there is a time limit, so I kind of have to end it here, but there will be maybe a part two or just another episode about, you know, binge, breaking the binge restrict, binge purge cycle. Uh, but I hope what I said for now was helpful and, you know, maybe someone had some light bulb moments. I really hope so. For me personally, realizing that the binges weren't really the problem, but the problem was the restriction and therefore focusing on getting rid of the restriction was an absolute game changer. And I think that if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't have been recovered. I wouldn't. And I might have mentioned this before, but I had a friend of mine who suffered bulimia for years, very, very severe bulimia. And she recovered by, you know, focusing on <laughs> getting rid of the restriction rather than focusing on getting rid of the binging. And she told me that, you know, she had a bad day and she tried to binge. And she said, it just doesn't hit the same, you know. She was almost a bit like, oh, why doesn't it hit? Because it used to hit because she was so undernourished. But now it just didn't give her that high anymore. And that is the thing with bulimia recovery. And that is also, I think, why some people are a little bit, you know, sad about letting go because they realize, oh, my drug is not going to give me the same high anymore. But just like with actual drugs, bulimia is dangerous. It is mentally and physically breaking you down and killing you. So choose recovery while you still can. And now to today's listener question. So today's question, and I'm paraphrasing a little bit, is how do you trust that you're not a unicorn? Especially when you are in recovery and you know you're gaining fast and all of these things are happening that makes you think, well, I'm the unicorn. How do you keep going and how do you trust that you're not a unicorn? So I have already written an article called You're Not a Unicorn where I basically explain what's going on and offer some reassurance for those people who are in recovery thinking they are unicorns. That article is available at letsrecovery.co.uk. But I want to add something, and that is that you don't necessarily have to get rid of that feeling because chances are that feeling is going to be there. And I think sometimes trying to fight that feeling of, you know, that unicorn feeling is might be counterproductive and it makes you feel like you're failing at something. It's okay to just go through a recovery and feel like you're a unicorn, but you just need to keep acting because only time will really prove to you that you're not the unicorn. In early recovery, it is completely normal to gain fast on little calories. And the key is to keep increasing. And when you're increasing your intake, actually, very paradoxically, you're also slowing down your weight gain because your metabolism is going up. In early recovery, I gained a lot of weight very fast on very little calories. But then as I kept upping and upping and upping my intake then the weight gain actually started slowing down. And I think a lot of people in recovery, they don't really eat enough for their metabolism to fully speed up. They think they are eating, but they're actually on the very bare minimum. And also one thing with people eating disorders, very often they tend to uh, very much 
overestimate their intake. So they think, oh, I'm eating, you know, 3000 calories, but they're actually eating far, far less. And also they tend to move around a lot. You know, they're thinking, oh, well, I'm not going to the gym anymore, but they're actually completely redecorating their entire house, going, doing every dish they can find and washing and doing all of these things. So they are not really allowing the body to fully get out of starvation mode. You need to eat quite generously in surplus for this to happen and for the metabolism to speed up. This does not mean that you're a unicorn. It just means that you need to eat more and you need to be consistent. You need to keep going and you need to trust the process. And even if you don't trust the process, it is okay to keep doing the process with some trust issues. I think that sometimes is the best way to go ahead. Sometimes we need to take a leap. We need to just not necessarily fully trust the process. We just need to do. And then the trust comes with time. It comes when you look back. But don't feel like you need to feel perfectly safe and comfortable to actually do it, right? Because chances are that's never going to happen. During my own recovery, even though I did have moments where I was feeling a little bit more like, oh, that makes sense. Oh, okay. Turns out I'm not a unicorn, even though I had those like light bulb moments in a way. I still, for a very long period of time, had these underlying fears that, you know, I'm going to lose control. I'm different. uh, Something bad is going to happen, right? I didn't always feel calm and fully trusting of the process because I don't really think that is even possible when you are in eating disorder recovery. So accept that ambivalence and trust issues as part of the process and just don't let it change your behaviors. You need to keep eating, keep resting, keep challenging yourself and just do what feels wrong until it feels right. I hope you guys enjoy this episode and I will see you all next week. And if you do enjoy this podcast, I always really appreciate it if you leave a review or share it with someone who you think will benefit from listening to it. Share it on your story. It makes me really happy so we can reach more people with the message. <laughs> Anyways, guys, have a lovely week ahead and I'll talk to you guys soon.